Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Good morning. How many know it's hot? Thank God. Well, uh, hey, before I get started, I just want to thank Pastor Jimmy and Linda Zion. They're here first service, but all the outreach team and everyone who uh, helped out earlier this week to stuff backpacks and was here this yesterday morning passing out backpacks. Let's just give them all a hand. I know some of you are out here. We're here today. And again, uh, we gave, saw hundreds of cars come through um, giving backpacks. And I'm telling you, I mean, you know, some of them had the kids were in the back seat of the cars and just handing them that unicorn backpack um, just made some little girls smile and just so thankful for the, you know, getting ready for school in a couple weeks for them. And so thank you so much for making that possible. Again, that's what you're giving. Pastor Chris was talking about in our video there. Um, that sort of things we do. Love our city, reach out. And we've been doing this for, for years now. And But again, thank you so much to uh, the outreach team for putting that all together. And for all those that volunteer, thank you so much for that. Well, hey, um, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to get started here. We're going to read a couple passages here as we get started. And the first one here is out of Revelations. Um, talking about end times. And I just want to say this because it's kind of really this one verse, as you're going to read it here, um, kind of encapsulates what we did this Sunday or to this morning. Okay? Revelations 12, 11. They triumphed over him. Him is Satan. Okay? This is when Satan was cast down. And, and um, the word of the Lord says they triumphed over Satan. How? By the blood of the Lamb. That's why communion. We remember, that's why we're overcomers. We are victors in Christ. Not because of what we did, but because of what he did, Jesus. So we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By testifying, confessing that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So that's what, you know, we've been doing. Now, I'm going to read Romans chapter 7. And um, this is a passage here. And I always want to say that, you know, if I was doing a diary, which, you know, I, I don't. But if I kept a diary, I would probably be making this exact entry that Paul wrote uh, maybe once a week. <laughs> okay, Romans 7, verse 15 says there, I know that all God's commands are spiritual, but I'm not. Isn't this also your experience? Yes. I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But I need something more. For if I know the law, word of God, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Lord, help me. My decisions such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly 
that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted. So set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Speak to us. Move us, God. Teach us. Show us your ways in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead. Have a seat there. I don't know, man. Felt like I keep writing that. <laughs> this series has been great. I know that if you've been part of the groups, uh, particularly in the women's and men's groups, um, you know, we've been having certain different individuals share their stories as well. And you know, this is the last week of groups. If you haven't made out, come out this Wednesday. Okay, come out this week. Go to the groups, find one. And I'm telling you they've been blessed. Because, you know, this series really, you know, requires us to be vulnerable and transparent. So today I'm going to share my story, as the other pastors did in the last few weeks. If you weren't here, you could still catch those on YouTube. And I'm going to call my story, Confessions of a Serial Pastor. Confessions of a Serial Pastor. Yeah, I'm one of those. Like, I love those true crime documentaries and all that. But this morning, I'm going to confess to you a few things that maybe you never thought you would hear a pastor really admit to. So nevertheless, though, this is my true story. So here's my first confession. Confession number one. I didn't like going to church. <laughs> I didn't like going to church. I grew up in South Stockton, um, you know, Considered, maybe still is considered a bad side of the city. Uh, my childhood home was, we were right next to the government housing. Okay, we used to call those Conway homes. I don't know what they're called now. But Conway homes right there in Van Busker Park, if you're familiar with their area, just on the other side of the levee from Western Ranch. And kind of my family story is, uh, when my dad was born here, uh, after he graduated high school, him and my grandfather took a trip to the Philippines. And that's where he met my mom. And um, fell in love with my mom because she was the beautiful thing she, he ever saw. Um, and thing is, though, uh, my mom uh, went to church. Um, our family there, my mom's family, um, they, they helped found a four-square church. A four-square church there in the Philippines with a missionary. And so that was kind of her background. And, but my dad was raised a, a Catholic. And my mom kind of only... Said, I'm going to, you know, I like you and all that, and you're nice. She goes, but, you know, uh, I need you to, you know, be a real Christian. And if you're going to take me back to the States, to California, you know, I need to go to a Christian church. You know, so my dad agreed to that. So she came over and, um, you know, my, they found and they found a church. And they ended up going to this little small Filipino church in South Stockton. And that was, I was dedicated there as a baby in that church. So I grew up there, and I'll be honest, 
I mean, I went, but I didn't like going. <laughs> I didn't like going to church, okay? I hated waking up early on Sunday. And, you know, it was one of them old school churches where everyone had to get dressed up. So my mom had to put me sometimes with a tie or give me a shirt that itches. You know what I'm saying? Like not cotton or whatever, polyester or whatever. But, you know, it was just like made you all itchy. You know, and then I had to wear these dress shoes that just hurt my feet. Okay? And that's, you know, we had to all get dressed up. And back then, we had a thing before you had church. You had a thing called Sunday school. Anybody here remember Sunday school? Okay? Yeah, I go to Sunday school. Okay? And, man, I just thought that was weird. You know, it was just weird. It was like, oh, you know, because, I don't know, we were playing with popsicle sticks and stuff like that. Like, I don't, you know, what is this, you know? Popsicle sticks, making, like, Jesus out of popsicle sticks. Like, okay, whatever. And I just thought kind of weird, you know? And it just wasn't my thing, you know? And, you know, you had Sunday school, and then, like I said, old school church. There was no kids' church. You had to sit in service, you know, as a little kid, you know? You know, I had to sit in service, and, man, it took forever. It was only like an hour and a half, but it, like, took forever. It seemed like forever, and I'm just there, oh, man. When's this guy going to stop talking, okay? So, I mean, I just, I'm just confessing. You know, I didn't like going to church as a kid. I mean, in fact, I can't even remember times when I would fake being sick so I didn't have to go, you know, Mijo, it's time to get up. Oh, I'm sick, Mom. I can't go today. You know, I wasn't sick. You know, but I would fake it. And, you know, sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. You know, funny thing is, if I, you know, if it was coming to school, if I, you know, if, um, if I was sick, I would actually fake being okay so I could go to school. So I wanted to go to school, but I didn't want to go to church. But, okay, so that's my first confession. But then adolescence and puberty hit. Confession number two. Then I started going to church for the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay? When I hit my preteen years, things changed in many ways for me. Had a lot more self-awareness. All of a sudden, I started caring about the clothes I wore and the shoes I wore. Before, I didn't really care about my clothes. But then, you know, now, my mom worked at Kmart. Okay? And that's what I wore because my mom wore Kmart. She got a discount there, Blue Light Special. Okay? Some of you might remember that. I know Kmart's not around anymore. Okay? And, I, you know, and some of you might remember, you know, my shoes are from Payless Shoe Source. Okay? You get a pair of sneakers for five bucks. Okay? Brand new. It wasn't a Goodwill. It was Payless Shoe Source. Okay? I didn't even know that's around. You know, so, you know, all of a sudden, man, I wasn't self-aware. Man, I can't be wearing these Kmart clothes and, you know, Payless Shoe Source shoes. You know, so I started making my mom buy my clothes from Macy's. Yeah, right? And Mervyn's. You guys remember Mervyn's? Wine stocks. And if you're from Stockton, if we had, you know, a little bit more money, we would go to Lincoln Center and buy at Campbell's. Okay? So, and also, also at this time, I had some friends. Started making some new friends. Now, in looking back, being honest, they were probably knuckleheads. Okay? <laughs> Just bad news. These friends of mine that I was making, they had older siblings or families who were in, you know, those, them Asian gangs, the Filipino gang, Bahala Naga gang, I don't care gang. You know, so obviously, you know, they're from that lifestyle. You know, their home environment was different from mine, okay? But, you know, I was kind of infatuated with it because they were, they were like, kind of like the cool kids, the tough kids, no one messed with them type kids. And then what made it kind of cool was like, they actually wanted me to be in that group, okay? Probably because I was bigger than all of them, Okay? But they wanted me to, so, you know, I, so I kind of had this certain status because I had some friends that were, you know, they had siblings who were in this game, okay? And then also started noticing girls, bottom line, okay? 
And one thing I knew about church, there were a lot of girls in church, okay? So I started going to church happily now. Started going to youth group because not only were there girls, but guess what? They also gave free food, okay? So who, who guys you know? Yeah, meet a lot of girls, eat a lot of food. Man, what else can a 12-year-old want, okay? But this is when God spoke to me. And I would say it was during my eighth grade year, okay? I just noticed because the reason I say that because... Um, you, know, you know, I was really, you know, I, you know, around my eighth grade, I was really into this girl, okay? And so I started going to youth group, you know, committedly to church because I was really trying to hook up with this girl. But I was, you know, I started to actually pay attention to what the pastor was saying. And I can't tell you the day, but I know it was towards my end of my eighth grade year. I was just laying in bed. And it's probably because I was a little bit nervous about going to high school. You know, that's a little bit of a big switch for a kid, you know, going from a junior high to a high school. And I started thinking about, you know, my life and I started thinking about the stuff being preached, you know, as I was going to church, even though I was going for the wrong reasons. And so I made a decision. And I, you know, like I said, I'm not, I can't give you a date. You know, I didn't come to the altar. I didn't raise my hand somewhere. I was laying in my bed and I was just saying to myself, Jason, you probably got to take God a little bit more serious. That's all I did. That's all I thought. You got to take God a little bit more serious. So that's when I started going to church for the right reasons at that point at age 13. Okay, so here's my third confession. I hated being in front of people. <laughs> okay, I know it seems weird because I'm in front of all you guys now here and online who's watching this, you know. But I hated being in front of people. I was a shy person. I would never start a conversation, and I would always quit to end one. Public speaking was frightening. I mean, when in school plays, I volunteered to be the tree that just stood there. I was cool with that. Okay, yeah, just put me out. I'll just stand there. I'm cool. I don't have to say no lines. You know, and I'm going to say this because we got baptisms coming up at the end of the month. This fear of being in front of people, okay, um, prevented me from being water baptized. I didn't like being in front of people ready, you know, so you want me to wear swim clothes and get wet in front of people coming up, see me all wet and all that. I mean, I know it's not a big deal, but for me, man, it's like, oh, that's crazy. Okay, but then uh, right before my sophomore year in high school, I went to a youth camp. The opportunity to be water baptized came. And, you know, they're saying, you got to get baptized, Jason. I said, no way. You know, there's like 300, three, 400 teenagers at this youth camp. All of from California. I mean, I'm not going to get baptized in front of people I know in my home church. You think I'm going to get in front of strangers? But some of you have been to camp. You know, they bring in the Nymex speaker. You know, the services at camp. They're like, you know, the presence of God is full there. And I remember that, and I don't know if it was a speaker. Maybe it was a speaker. But God was just speaking to me. And he was saying, Jason, are you, are you serious about um, living for me? And this, this phrase came to my head because it doesn't cost you anything to be a Christian. But it costs you everything to be a disciple of Jesus. And that was speaking to my heart, you know, doing those, those camp services. And God was saying, Jason, I'm asking you right now to be baptized at this youth camp. So I had to lay down my fear, lay down my pride, and maybe in some sense my shame. And I got into that swimming pool. <laughs> In front of all these hundreds of teenagers and got dunked. Okay? 
But here's the thing, and someone has a video of it. When I came out of the water, when I came out of the water, um, I was jumping and screaming, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I say that because maybe God is asking someone here to, you got to lay down your pride and follow him. Confession number four. I never wanted to be a pastor. I never wanted to be a pastor. You know, like I said, I got serious about God at the age of 13. So, hey, I was a, you know, I was a good student in high school. I got good grades, was able to get um, um, a few scholarships for college. Man, I mean, I was so good, I got Portuguese people to give a Filipino money. I don't know, you know, you go to the counselor, you just see these, you know, fill out this scholarship. I didn't know what it was. So I filled it out, got a letter, hey, come to our banquet. So, oh, cool, and they're, they're going to give me $2,000. I show up, there's a full of Portuguese people, Fonseca this, Fonseca that, okay? And I was like, oh, I was like, man, I was like, but they were cool. They gave me $2,000, so cool, okay? Well, anyways, um, I got accepted to all the colleges I applied to, Cal Poly, Stanford. I got into Stanford by, you know, then, you know, I applied to those Christian schools, Biola, Azusa Pacific. And in my senior year, I really felt God calling me to ministry, you know? But I didn't want, you know, I kind of felt that. Because of things that were happening. You know, the youth group I was attending, they would do these things where they had like a, a youth leadership team. And they would elect, you know, all the youth group would get together and they would elect these, you know, youth leaders, peer leaders. And I remember I knew this election was coming, so I didn't go to youth group because I ain't going to get elected. I don't want to be this. So I didn't show up, okay, to our youth group. Following Sunday, say, hey, Jason, you're on the youth leadership team. I wasn't even there. How can you? That's, you know, that's wrong. How can you vote for someone who wasn't there? Okay? But, you know, just things like that. Okay? I was president of our Christian club, Edison. We were called uh, CARE Club, C-A-R-E. Christians are reaching Edison. They made fun of us and called us the Care Bears. <laughs> hey, are you, are you part of the Care Bears? That was us. But I knew God was calling me to ministry. But once again, my pride got in the way. Again, it's honest confession. I'm just telling you, man, I'm just being real. This is, you know, I, I thought, you know what? I am way too smart and way too good of a student to waste my skills to be a lowly pastor. I really thought that. I'm just too smart. You know, I was, you know, I was part, you know, saying, God, you know, I'm going to be a Christian. Why can't I just be a Christian engineer, a Christian lawyer, a Christian doctor? Okay? Because come on, you know. I mean, I'm good at calculus. I was good at physics. You know, I was good at all that stuff. You know, come on. You know, pastors, shh, pastors, they don't need to know all that. Okay? They don't do that. So, you know, there are people, you know, they're not as smart. You don't need to be smart to be a pastor. And I'm really smart, so I shouldn't be a pastor. Honestly. And I really wanted to go to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I got accepted. I mean, I was, you know, I went and... and about to sign the dotted line, but you know, I was, you know, I was going to church, so I made a compromise. Okay, so the compromise was okay, I didn't go to Cal Poly, I'll just go to a Christian university. So I ended up going to Biola in Southern California, Biola University. Um, and because it was a school back then, I don't know what now, but back then, when you went to Biola, you had to get a minor in Bible that was required. So I said, you know, see God, so I'm going to do it. Okay, I'll get my mathematics degree. And get a Bible minor. Sounds good and noble. Thing is, that's not what God had asked me to do. So I go, and I, I'm, again, I'm going to tell you the truth. It was rough. It was rough. 
Um, I've never been away from home, you know, at that point. You know, I was 18 years old, going down to the Cal all by myself. Um, and about two weeks, two to three weeks, you know, I was on my way to Bible study, driving my little 1991 Toyota Corolla. Driving to Bible study, I'm at a, at a red light, and I'm looking at my rearview mirror. And when I look at my rearview mirror, I see this. A guy, the truck behind me, which was a reinforced work truck, doing this. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't know that I'm stopped. At 40 miles per hour, he rams me. And then I, boom. And I, I remember looking back and I was like, where's the rest of my car? You know? And I remember, you know, doing the police report. I walked away just, just with a sore back. But he goes, man, he goes, I'm amazed that it's not worse that, you know, I'm thinking the, the, the fuel tank could have exploded or, I mean, a lot of things could have happened. He goes, but I walked away clean, but it was just, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, yeah, I was kind of rough. And then I didn't enjoy my math classes. I was taking a class called Abstract Algebra. It was doing math without the numbers. I'm like, what? These are all letters here. What are, we, what are you talking about here? Abstract Algebra. You know, and all of a sudden I started struggling because, you know, I was always good at math. I was flying through all these, but now I was just having a hard time, you know. And then the professor had a thick Chinese accent. I couldn't even understand him. I was like, well, what is this guy saying? You know, and everyone looked around and I was like, oh, my word. I was hating that. And then I had to take a computer science class. You were required to take computer science as a math major, you know. And remember, this is in the early 90s. So, you know, it was not like today, Okay. And I remember, he goes, okay, class, um, how many guys have a laptop computer? And everyone in the class takes out their laptop, except me. Because I'm from the hood, man. Okay, I'm from Conway. My parents couldn't afford to send me a laptop computer, you know, and all that. And I remember it was, it was a struggle. I hated, I hated going to my classes. And, and then even it was a culture shock as well. You know, growing up in South Stockton, going to Edison, which was very culturally diverse, going to Biola University, where all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I've never been to school with so many white people. There were Caucasians everywhere. You know, I'm used to brown, black, you know, yellow, okay? And I'm like, oh, it's like, I mean, it was just weird. You know, I kind of felt outcasted in many ways, you know, in my dorm room and everything. And, you know, I cried out, you know, I cried out to God because my, my college experience wasn't happening for me. But then God spoke and says, because you're not where you want, where you should be. So I made a decision to change my major to church leadership, pastoral leadership, and went to Bethany here near Santa Cruz. Going to give you a little side note. I told my mom about this change. And do you know what she did? She hung up on me. And didn't talk to me for a month, you know. And I, I'm an only child, you know. So that's kind of, you know, that hurt, you know. I was like, okay. So apparently my mom didn't want me to be a pastor either, okay. Here you go. Confession number five. five. I was afraid to pray for people, <laughs> okay. Confess. I'm a, I was afraid to pray for people. Honest confession, okay. Maybe I should say pray for people publicly. You know, I enjoyed preaching. I liked that, sharing God's word. I mean, even when I, you know, I went to Bethany, I was speaking at youth groups and churches. But I was afraid to pray for people, you know, because, you know, particularly for like healing and stuff. Because it's like, man, what if nothing happened? You know, and it was really, 
Is it really an issue of me not having faith and me having pride? Okay, because I was so concerned about, you know, my image and reputation, what people are going to think if I pray for them and nothing happened. And this prayer, but this fear changed when I took a short-term missionary trip to the Philippines. And so it was a team of us. It was about, I think, after my junior year in college. And a team of us went to the Philippines over the summer. And we hooked up with the missionary there. And we would do these evangelistic crusades, go up and down the Philippines. Okay, go to these little towns. We call them barangays or like barrios. Okay, and we would go to their major town square and, you know, do these crusades. So we would do this and one day the missionary says, hey, Jason, guess what? We're going, you're going to preach. We're going to go to this town, a little bit bigger town, okay? I want you to preach one of the nights. I was like, cool. You know, I was, I was pumped, man. I was psyched. In fact, they even had a, they, they made a big old hand-painted sign and put it in the middle of the town. You know, evangelistic crusade with American Jason Tagdaren. You know, you got to put American, okay? Because they're not going to come unless you're from America. Okay, I was like, okay, cool, but I was pumped. Okay, I was psyched, man. So nights come, and this town square, you know, it's like one of them amphitheater-type seating. I mean, it was hundreds, maybe a 1,000 people there. So I go, you know, pump, give my message, you know. And I said, okay, you know, who wants to accept Jesus? And, you know, great, great atmosphere, great crowd. And then, you know, people raise their hand. Okay, you know, let them accept Christ. Believe you're a sinner. Confess you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. You know, yeah, 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 you know. Cool. Gave the, gave the mic to the pastor. So I was like, cool, you know. God, you're good. Then the pastor takes the mic. Okay, this is also a healing crusade. Pastor Jason, he's going to pray for you, and you will be healed. <laughs> what? What? What did you say? You know, but you got to go with it. You know, I mean, you, you guys got to roll with it. But I'm like, oh, man. Oh, and you know, this is, again, confessions. I'm thinking, they're going to know I'm a fake. <laughs> they're going to know I'm a fake. You know, I'm going to pray for people and nothing's going to happen. You know, I, I mean, this is going through my head. And, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to like, hey, I can't pray for everyone. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, and then I think maybe no one will come down. You know, but no, the whole, everyone's coming down. Okay. So they can, you know, they put them in lines, right? And, you know, I can't be in every line, but so I was in the one in the middle. And I'm like, oh, man. So they're praying, but then people are saying, oh, you know, what kind of, you know, uh, I got a headache. Oh, we could pray for headaches. No one's going to know if, you know, headache, sinus infection. Okay, yeah. Ear hurts, whatever. You know, shoulder hurts. Oh, okay, that's no problem. But then, but like four people deep, there's a lady back there that looks like she's half dead. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to pray for that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I was like, oh. And I'm trying to, then I'm, I'm trying to switch lines. Hey, you want to switch with me? <laughs> and, but he wasn't having, no, 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 you, you just stay there, pastor. You stay there. And I'm like, so here it is, half dead woman. So now she's in front of me and I'm sweating bullets. I'm like, I go, nothing's going to happen. I'm a fake. They go, no, I'm a fake. You know, and so, you know, she's there. And, I, and I, so I ask her, what do you need prayer for? <laughs> she's half dead. But here's the thing. What she said changed the whole tone for me. 
She said, I just want to raise my hands to praise the Lord. Didn't ask for healing. I just want to. And, and then, you know, and I was like, man, that's all. Man, it was just, it was just, it was just, I was like, oh, wow. And I said, okay, I could pray for that. So I closed my eyes, put my hands on her, start praying, you know. And then I thought a fire happened because people started screaming. Ah! Oh! I'm like, oh, what happened? She died. I'm like, it was worse. She died. Ah! Oh! And then I opened my eyes and I didn't even realize that I'm not even touching her anymore. Because you know why? She's raising her hands, jumping up and down, doing the Holy Ghost hop, praising the Lord. Right there, I understood what it meant to be in ministry and what it meant to be a pastor. Ministry is never about the pastor. Ministry is all about God and his people. It's all about the people. You see that in the back of our shirts. It was a huge lesson for me in understanding what also it means to have faith. My definition of faith Acts of obedience followed by acts of God. Noah had the faith to build an ark. But it was God who made the storm come and the rain. David had the faith to put a stone in a sling and shoot it. But it was God who brought the giant down. That's faith. I'm going to obey and God's going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to do whatever God commands me to do. And God will do whatever he wants to do. Because I have faith he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Confession number six. I question God and even get mad at him. Honest, I'm a pastor, yeah. I question God. And I would, would get mad at him. You would think that after experiencing that miracle in the Philippines and even after that, years later, experiencing others, that I would never doubt God. In 2011, my dad was diagnosed with having a cancerous tumor that was attached to his pancreas. The doctors believed that they could surgically remove this tumor. So my dad had a surgery date set for June of 2011. So guess what? We get the prayer warriors rallied up. Let's get the prayer warriors rallied up. You know, we used to do Tuesday night prayer meetings. And some of you have been here, you know, Sister, Sister Ovito. I said, I got to have Sister Ovito pray for my dad. So the night before the surgery, I bring my dad. We pray for her, put the oil, lay hands, that God's going to take away this tumor. So we go to the hospital. I prayed with him. They rolled him away. It was supposed to be an eight-hour surgery. After three hours, we get the call that the surgeon would like to see us now. And I was thinking, oh, praise the Lord. It's gone. Because I've heard testimonies of how they would open up or look at an x-ray. And what was once a tumor there was gone. And I was like, oh, my God, it's gone. That's why it's not taking that long. Instead... The doctor comes in and tells us that we were unable to remove the tumor 
because it's attached to a major artery. And we have to cut that artery. And if we cut that artery, your dad's going to die in that table. So they, I couldn't do it. The tumor's still there. My dad fought, died 18 months later in 2012. Jesus, how could you let this happen to me? To him. Why did you not heal my dad? He was a deacon. He was faithful. Why? He's loved people. He's, even when I was old, he would send kids to camp, pay for them. Why? I was mad at God. Who is this Jesus? Jesus, you're a lunatic. You're crazy. You're playing with my life. Jesus, you're just a liar. I've been preaching a lie this whole time. I was really thinking Jesus is a lunatic, a liar. But I'm thankful for the prayers of this church, of my family, of friends. Because even though I had that, I knew that Jesus is not a lunatic. Jesus is not a liar. He's Lord though. He's Lord. He has all things under control. And it was just, you know, it was just an issue of trust. I just had to keep trusting his lordship. And maybe there's someone here who's wondering, maybe because what has happened in your life, you're thinking, man, this is crazy. This Jesus thing. Or may I, you know, Jesus is just lying. He never does anything. Maybe you're at that point. But I'm telling you, he is the Lord of lords. And he's always in control. In the good times and the bad times and in our pain. He's still Lord. He's still Lord. And here's my last confession. Sometimes I feel like I don't have what it takes. Yeah? I'm wrong. Sometimes I feel like I don't have what it takes. One of my favorite episodes in the gospel is a story when Jesus gets on the disciples, gets with his disciples on a boat. And Jesus had just done two great miracles. He fed 5,000 people. Some of you guys remember that, right? Took some little loaves and fish, fed 5,000. And then a day later, he feeds 4,000 people. Okay, kind of similar. Then they get on the boat. This is, I'm going to read to you this story. So they get on a boat and the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. So, you know, they said, so they discussed this and said, is it because we have no bread? Aware of the discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? I mean, there was one loaf that said that. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I broke five loaves and fed 5,000. And how many basketfuls were left over? 12. And I broke seven loaves and fed 4,000. How many baskets of pieces of bread were left? Seven. Do you still not understand so the disciples 
were hungry on a boat. There's one loaf, but now they couldn't find the loaf. And we all know when a man gets hungry and needs food, they go crazy. I went crazy last night. Aiden, where's the Fruit Loops? Where's the Fruit Loops? Who ate all the Fruit Loops? I need to eat something now. You know, you just got because you're man, you're hungry, right? So the disciples were like that. They're like, wait, I'm, they're on the boat. I'm hungry. Peter, then we have one bread. I don't know, it's over there. It's not there. Peter, where's the bread? I need to eat. And Jesus is there like, are you kidding me? Do you, do you remember what just happened? I took like five bread and fed 5,000. I took seven and fed 4,000. And you are going crazy starving because you can't find a, a, one loaf of bread. So let me leave you some thoughts here as we close. Number one, who is in your boat? is more important than what is in your boat. You didn't need that bread. You got me the bread of life. You don't need more things or the right thing. You need the one person, Jesus. Because who is in your boat is more important than what you have in your boat. Number two, what God has done for others he can do for you. I fed 4,000. I fed 5,000 disciples. You don't think I could feed 12 of you? Because what I did for them, I can do for you. Yes, God healed your mom. God can heal you too. God provided for grandma. God can provide for you too. What he's done for others, he can do for you. Number three, the less you have, all that means is more what God can do. The less you have, you don't have it all, I don't have enough. Okay? Now all that means is God can do more. Your grace, His grace is sufficient for me. When you don't have enough, when you don't have what it takes, his grace is sufficient for you. He's more than enough. And then lastly here, no miracle can happen unless you offer your need to God. No miracle can happen unless you offer your need to God. All the disciples had to do was to take that one bread and say, Jesus, can you feed us and make more? But then, oh, they're like, where's the bread? Where's the bread? I need the bread. I need the bread. Well, just give it to Jesus. Because who in your boat is more important than what's in your boat? And what God did for others, he can do for you. You only got one loaf. I, I, I use seven to feed 4,000. I can use one to feed 12 of you but you got to give me the bread. No miracle can happen unless the need is offered to the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close our time here. And I shared my story and I just, time and time again, I find myself doing it even to this day. 
but throughout my life. There are times when I need to lay stuff down. My pride, my shame, I gotta lay it down. And there's been times when I just gotta give it up. I gotta give it up to God. I give it to you, I don't know. I don't know how you're gonna make it, but I give it to you. I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything, but you know what? I just gotta give it to you. So as we sing this worship song, we're gonna have some time here. If you need to come forward as an act of submission to God. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.